0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. It is so great to be with you. Good morning to the guys in the room, over at Cheadle as well, and in your homes, as Tim said. It's so great to have the privilege to be able to share with you guys this morning. Um, for those of you who may be new to Ivy, um, or maybe you don't know me so well, my name is Pete. Uh, I'm on the staff team here at Ivy. And... As in recent weeks, we've been navigating various changes of this church and leaning into where we believe the Lord is calling us. There have been some changes in, in roles and what we are doing, and my role is one of those that have changed. And so um, I now have the great privilege of taking up the role as one of the team leaders for our discipleship pathway. And the area that I'm giving particular focus to is the area of devote, which I, ask, which I hear you asking, well, what does that mean? So, in a nutshell, I guess my role as the Devote Team Leader is to help our church community here at Ivy corporately and individually cultivate rhythms and practices that help enable us to become wholehearted disciples and followers of Jesus. Because ultimately, wholehearted disciples make disciples, which is our heart for this community and our place in this city as a church, And I guess some of the specifics of that, so my role, I'm going to give specific um, uh, focus to the areas of prayer and and worship. I'm going to feed a little bit into things like teaching, but also to look and help us equip us and encourage us in sort of spiritual practices of how can we uh, become more like Jesus in the everyday rhythms of the things that we do. And so that's a little bit of what my role is going to involve. But you know, there are lots of changes going on, but right at the heart of what we're pursuing right now is to be obedient to all that God is calling us to as a church. Um, A while ago, I read a book by Francis Chan, and as I was praying um, this morning, I was reminded of a question he asks in this book. It's a book called Letters to the Churches, and in the book, he asks this question. He says, are the things that we expect from church the things that Jesus commands in his church? Are the things that we expect from a church, the things that Jesus commands of his church. And sometimes, yes, they can be one in the same, but I think sometimes they can be very different. And do you know what? Navigating this change... It's exciting, but it's also hard because change is difficult and it can be disruptive at times. But what we want you to know uh, uh, um, as a staff team, and I know sort of the elders and Anthony want you to know we are pursuing this because we want to be wholeheartedly obedient to what Jesus is calling us to do and ultimately he's the one for whom this is all about and that is kind of our heart behind all of this and, and with that said uh, we're continuing our series this week which we're calling uh, it's called reimagine and which so far has been so so good so if you have missed some of the talks I encourage you not just because it's a good series in itself but because we believe this is really helpful for where we're at as a church in navigating the changes and where we believe God is calling us to so go catch up YouTube all your regular podcast places um, and, and and this series will looking at what does it look like to step into the fullness of all that God has for his church and his people as we emerge out of the past 15 months, and all the changes that that has brought, and the changing landscape to which we are heading into. And as part of this series, we're using Psalm 23 as a framework for this. And this week, we're going to be diving in just one of those verses, verse 5 of Psalm 23. And David writes these words, he says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup it overflows. Now, there was a time in my life when uh, I just got married, and we got an amazing TV package. I've never had one since, but we kind of had all the channels because we were a new customer. Uh, And I'm a bit of a geek, and so I love to watch Nat Geographic and... um, What was the other one? Discovery Channel. Anyone else in the room? Yeah, oh no. Yes, there's a hand, and there's a scratching of a head. I don't know if that was a vague admission of that. Um, I was a geek, and, and... You can't get enough of David Attenborough, right? I love that kind of stuff. But the other kind of programs that I like were the survival programs. You know, people like Ray Mears, um, Bear Grylls. There was Ultimate Survival Alaska. That was a good one. And perhaps my favorite of all was a guy called Ed Stafford. If you've not checked him out... Is a nutter. He gets dropped off in the most hostile environments with literally nothing—not even a shirt on his back—and apart from a camera to film himself, and he has to survive for two weeks. And it's amazing, and and he survives some of the world's harshest conditions. And it's really interesting watching these programs because these guys—they've learnt to operate and survive just on the basics and the bare minimum. Like they're people who can get a tree and make a canoe using a spoon. They can make fire using their bare hands, those kind of people. And I often watch it and go, oh, these will be interesting and useful tips for when I find myself marooned or lost in a jungle, those everyday moments, you know. Um, But I find it interesting. The verse that we read from David, I find it fascinating. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies take that kind of to our level, in the presence of my insecurities, in the presence of my deficit, in the presence of my addiction or my confusion, confusion or the conflict, or in the presence of my anxiety, God, you prepare a table before me. And I don't know about you, but when I encounter the hard times in life, when life throws me a curveball, or when it just feels like you're up against it, the last thing on my mind is, what am I going to eat? And the first thing on my mind is, how am I just going to get through this and make it through okay? How am I going to survive? And in those moments, and when those moments come, and they will come, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble but I don't know if you like me, but I can go into survival mode where I'm happy with the very basics and with the bare minimum. I just need enough to make it through, God. Or sometimes we can panic and go, I'll just take anything. God, are you even there? Are you in the even real? Just give me anything. Give me something. I just need to make it through. I'm desperate. And, and, and when those moments come, it's interesting because David, he's, he's surrounded by his enemy, and most likely intent on his death and the destruction of his people. And and he writes this, God, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And if you're anything like me, when the hard times come, I'll go into survival mode and I'll be happy to settle for the scraps. But it's interesting here, David, in the same kind of position... I think he's trying to tell us, and I think that he's learned that being in the presence of your enemies is not necessarily a time when you just have to survive, but being in the presence of your enemies is, in fact, a time where you can thrive and even feast because of what God provides. You know, God's presence doesn't always do away with the presence of the enemy, but his presence enables us to experience his. Fullness of his goodness, of his provision, of his peace, even in the tough times, even in the hard place. God doesn't just hand you a ration pack and said, Here you go, that'll do. He prepares a banquet table before you, even in the toughest place. He said, You can feast even now. You can thrive even now. When the world seems against you, you can experience God's faithfulness, God's goodness, his um. Faithfulness, his abundance, and even in those times, you can experience his joy. I have had the privilege of uh, going to the nation of India on several occasions. I love it. I love the people, the smells, the tastes, the scenery. It's just a beautiful country. I've even named my daughter India as well. But um, we have friends there who they run a school, they've got um, started a church there, and they run a children's home as well. And the children's home is full of a mixture of children. Most of these kids, they have harrowing stories of things that they've experienced that no person should ever experience. I mean, these are children who um, have faced um, abuse. they faced rejection. Many of them are orphans, and all of them have been subject to abject poverty. And... um, very few of them had any hope for the future, especially in a nation like India. And um, yet, when you go into this children's asylum, they are the most joy-filled kids that you will ever me. I remember the first time I visited the home, and um, this group of boys came up to me, and it's a term of endearment, they call you uncle, and said, uncle, uncle, come with us. And they took me to to their dorm room, and there was about 30 bunk beds crammed into a very small space, with very little room to manoeuvre in between. And he stood in front of his bed, and he went, like this. I was like, what? and he, he was showing me his bed, and he was so proud of this kind of fusty mattress and this little tiny cover that he had, and then he got this suitcase, this small metal suitcase out from under his bed. He opened it up, and he goes, Uncle, here, look at all my things, and he opened up this suitcase, and, and there was a handful of clothes, there was a couple of toys and the odd photo in there. There wasn't much, and it struck me because like everything that he owned in the world fitted into a suitcase the size of the handle luggage that I brought with me on that trip, and yet somehow... This little lad, he was so grateful, he was so full of joy, it just oozed out of him. And and part of my favourite time with the kids in the home is every evening they have worship together. Um, And you watch these children in worship and they're just full of joy-filled abandonment before Jesus. And you just see it on their faces, kind of shouting out the top of their lungs, hands raised. And I get pretty distracted when I'm with them because I don't usually sing the songs. I just watch them because I see all these faces just so full of joy. They're just full on going for it in worship. And I, I realize each of these faces has had harrowing stories of rejection and awful things in their life. And yet they worship like nothing else and they are full of joy. And you know what? These aren't children who just brush the bad stuff under the carpet. They really wrestle with this stuff. Some of them deeply affected by the experiences they've had in the past. And so in the one hand, they hold pain and brokenness and rejection and all of that stuff. Yet in the other hand, they recognize the goodness and the faithfulness of God and all that he has given them. And every single day, they make the choice, I'm going to choose God and his faithfulness over this stuff. Again, not that we ignore it, but may they make a conscious decision to choose joy and it changes them radically. They have more aspiration and more joy and more hope for the future uh, than I've ever had because they make the conscious decision to choose joy. And I believe that one of the biggest markers for followers of Jesus should be joy. St. Augustine said this, he said, the Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot and you know, when Jesus entered the world, um, he came on the back of the proclamation of the angels, which said what? They said, I bring you good news of great joy. And in Jesus' life and ministry, it was marked by joy. If you encountered the power and the presence of Jesus, people went away filled with joy. And at the very end of his life, some of his parting words to his disciples in John 15 were these. He said, I've told you these things that my, jo- that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy matters. It's more than an emotion. Joy matters to Jesus. And I wonder, as a follower of Jesus, to ask yourself the question this morning, is your life marked by joy? If we don't have joy as followers of Jesus, then why on earth would anyone want to follow him? Because being a Christian is hard, right? I said it earlier. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. So why would you choose it? We choose it because there is immense, immeasurable joy in following Jesus. And it's not that we cover up the hard stuff. like We don't just say, oh, I'm okay because Jesus loves me, and then cry when we're alone. That's not what the kind of joy we're talking about. But as Richard Foster puts it so well in one of his books, he says, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. It is not something that simply falls on our heads in a moment. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. And you know what? The joy that comes through knowing Jesus is not kind of the Instagram joy where it's great on the surface and awful underneath. It is resilient. It is not fleeting. Um, The joy that Jesus gives us can be present in the most difficult times. It's a joy that speaks to the world about who Jesus is, and it's the kind of joy that gives us hope for the future. And you know what? Right now, the world needs to experience this kind of joy. The church in this time needs to be marked by this kind of joy because of not just what we've been through, but what the world's going through right now. And, and, and joy is always prevalent, but I believe particularly in these times, it is something we need to learn to cultivate. And so there are lots of ways we can do this, but I'm going to give focus to three as quick as I can that I think are particularly pertinent for the times that we're in. And, and, and with this, these three things that I'm going to talk about, they kind of align with three areas of focus that Anthony was talking about last week, and we're going to give focus to these things over the next few weeks and months, and it's three simple practices that we believe will enrich your life and help you grow in faith, and three things are this. Number one, be a worshipper. Number two, build community. And number three, bless your world. And so the first thing I want to talk about that helps us cultivate joy is the first on that list, is to worship be a worshiper. Joy, first and foremost, comes from proximity to Jesus. Again, you read the Gospels. When people encounter his power and the presence, I don't know your story of how you came to know Jesus, but I'm sure when you encountered him for the first time, the overarching emotion, the thing that rose up in you was joy. It was for me. And uh, I know it has been for so many other people. Um, but I want to read these verses from John 15. I alluded to them earlier. Jesus says these to his disciples. He said, "'Abide in my love. "'If you keep my commandments, "'you will abide in my love. "'Just as I have kept my Father's commandments "'and abide in his love,' These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And you know, I find sometimes there's this expectation in me that the way that I experience God's joy is in a moment, like a moment of worship. And I'm not belittling this. I'm just saying this is often the way I've had it, where I want some joy, God. Would you just kind of give me some joy, give me some Holy Spirit right now, and I'll go away and I'll be okay for the week. And that is great, and it's important. I don't want to belittle it. But God's desire for you is to experience joy that is not just about something in the moment. It is a place that we live in. It's a place that we abide. Joy is something that is to stay with us. It's a posture. It's something that is part of our character. And it is more than something that happens in just one moment. And it starts with abiding. That word abide literally means to stay, to remain, to live in that place and Jesus says abide in me. Psalm 16 11 says this, a psalmist writes, you make known to me the path of life, you fill me with joy, guess where? In your presence. You fill me with joy in your presence and I wonder how much of our joy in life is taken away because of Busyness or anxiety about all the other stuff going on in our lives. You know, I think busyness is the enemy of intimacy in all forms of relationship. That's why one of the most detrimental effects on the breakdown of relationship is determined by the amount of time that people spend together. Like relationships break apart when people don't spend time together. And the same is true with us and God. Everything flows from the presence of God. Without his presence, we have no power, no vision, no passion, no love. Um, we don't receive the Holy Spirit, it comes, from, it comes from him. And if we want to live with joy as a constant, we need to learn to cultivate a relationship with him where we begin to abide and remain in his presence. More than once a week when we gather to sing, as great as this is, and this is important, and even more than once a day in our quiet time that we spend with Jesus, we need to learn to abide, and abide means to stay in that place. If I could recommend any book off the back of today, um, there's a a guy called Brother Lawrence who wrote a book um, um, Practicing the Presence of God. If you've not read it, read it, it will change your life. It's brilliant. It's all about how do we cultivate a life where we can come to an awareness of the presence of God in every moment of every day. And in it, he said this. He said, Think often on God. By day, by night. In your business and even in your diversions, He is always near you and with you. Leave Him not alone. And then a little later on, he said this we should fix ourselves firmly in the presence of God, conversing all the time with Him. We should feed our soul with a lofty conception of God. And get this, and from that, derive great joy in being His. I love that. And do you know what? If you're not connected to the source of joy, you will very soon run out of it. But do you know what? worship is more than just experiencing the presence of god worship is also an intentional act of bringing glory to god and one of the ways that we give glory to god in worship whether it by song or however else we do it is to articulate our praise and our gratitude with him when we praise and thank jesus we remind ourselves of all that is done of all that he is it's in worship and through expressing praise Um, we do, as the Bible says, set our minds on things above. When we fix our mind's attention and our heart's affection on Jesus, it does something. It transforms us. One of my favourite hymns, the chorus says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's something about turning our affection on Jesus that begins to let joy rise in us. And do you know what? Being grateful in worship doesn't have to be just singing songs. Um, I found one of the most intimate and most genuine ways of doing this is just simply articulating myself every day, the very simple things I'm thankful for. And the way that I do this, I often write in my my journal or my my notebook, I'll put thankful in the middle of it. And I'll just put some music on and I'll just start to write out the really simple things I'm grateful for. And you might laugh at some of these. I'll, I'll thank God for a cup of Yorkshire tea in the morning. I thank God for bigger things like the sunrise. I then begin to list off all the people in my life that I'm grateful. I mean, that alone could fill a page. But begin to do this, begin to articulate it. I'm thankful for a roof over my head. I mean, there was a cheesy um, fridge sticker that my wife had on her fridge a, <laughs> when she had a shared house. Um, but I loved it. It said, imagine if you woke up tomorrow only having the things that you've been grateful for the day before. Or something like that. It was a bit better worded than that. But imagine if that's true. We need to be grateful for the small things because it it cultivates joy. When I finish this piece of paper, it's crammed full because I have so much to be grateful for. And just in seeing that, I think, wow, God, you are good. And there's something about the practice of gratitude that cultivates joy. The second way we can cultivate joy is through generosity. Uh, There's a passage in 1 Timothy 6, and we covered this a few weeks ago. But in it, Timothy says this, Command those who are rich in this present world. And by the way, if you, if you have running water and you have a mobile phone uh, and you have a roof over your head, you're rich. So he's referring to us. If you are rich in this present world, do not be arrogant. Um, I'll command those who are rich in this world... Um, Uh, Not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides for us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life." At Ivy, will often talk about generosity and finances and our possessions. And the reason we do that is because the world talks a lot about finances and possessions. And even more so, the Bible talks a lot about it. It's one of the most common topics in the Bible is what we do with our money and possessions in terms of how we honour God and serve the world around us. So we can't get away from not talking about it. Uh, but whilst giving of our money is hugely important, and it is, I stress that, Generosity is less about what we give and it is more of a posture of the heart. Generosity starts when we realise that everything that we had is first and foremost a gift from God. I mean, that mindset alone begins to like, cause joy to rise up. Everything, just think about it, everything you have, everything that you own, everything that is in your life is a gift from God. Man, that is something to be thankful for, right? Um, and God has given it As a blessing to us. And you know, right at the story of God's people, when God gave kind of the first commission to Abraham that he's going to make him a great nation, his commission was this I am going to bless you so that you may be a blessing to other people. God, Tim was saying this earlier, has been so generous to us. He has given us everything. And the call of followers of Jesus as we realize the joy of what it is to be blessed, that we reciprocate this to others. Do you know what generosity does? Generosity releases us from the slavery of money and stuff and all the anxiety that comes with that. It releases us from the slavery of life being all about me, myself, and I. Do you know, most often, the biggest stealer of joy in people's lives is worry and anxiety around money and stuff that we don't own or stuff that we wished we owned. Um... But generosity, it's, like an, it's an act of rebellion against the spirit of mammon. It's, it's an act of rebellion against that kind of love of wealth and possessions. Generosity helps liberate us and free us. And as Paul says uh, to Timothy, it gives way to the life that is truly life when you cultivate generosity. And when you experience that fullness of life, guess what wells up? Joy. Joy wells up when you experience the fullness of life. And you know what? It's funny. Although the Bible says this for a couple of thousand years, studies are finally agreeing with what the Bible has always said, um, that happy people are joyful people. I encourage you now to try and think of a generous person who is not joyful. I can guarantee that you won't, because you will never find a grumpy, generous person. It just doesn't work. You know, you can give and not be generous. That is true. But you cannot be generous and not be joyful. You can give and not be generous but you cannot be generous and not be joyful and here's the thing about generosity it brings joy to other people joy to other people if you want to be someone who blesses your world as we want to talk about practice generosity be generous with your time your energy your skills your gifts be generous with a listening ear be generous in your Um, giftings, in, in your attention, with your possessions, and yes, your money. Be generous with all that God has given you. Be generous with your home. Open it up. It's not yours. It's a gift. Use it as a blessing. It will give you joy, but it'll also give joy to other people as well. I mean, have you ever seen someone being the recipient of generosity and not be joyful? It doesn't happen. Generosity cultivates joy in us and it blesses and gives joy to other people. And I believe that as we emerge out of this pandemic... Or maybe we even dip back into it. Who knows, but I'm being positive. (laughs) Um, But cultivating a heart of generosity is something that can have a profound impact on the world. You know, right now, because of all that we've experienced, people are concerned with self-preservation. I want to protect myself. I want to protect what belongs to me. I want to indulge myself, because I haven't been able to do that for the last however many months, and I might not be able to if something else happens in the future. People are very much self-focused. And generosity kind of subverts that. Generosity makes it not just about me, but it makes it about others and expressing and demonstrating the joy that we have in Jesus as we choose to bless other people. And finally, and this is a good one, this is perhaps my favourite one uh, this week, and you're going to want to practice this when you get home. Um, We can cultivate generosity in our lives through the practice of celebration. Celebration. To the practice of celebration, I believe, and again, especially in the times that we're in, God wants to recall his people to the art of celebration. Celebration is something that is kind of um, woven throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, there are commands. You have to do this stuff, by the way. There are commands that God gives to tell his people, celebrate three, four, five times a year. I want to tell you to celebrate, set it up as a practice so that you may rejoice, that there might be unity, that you, when you encounter hard times or good times, you will remember the good times, you will remember the goodness of God. Practice celebration because it cultivates joy. One of my favourite parts that I read recently, in Deuteronomy 14, this is a command by the way, God's talking about a tithe given to his people and he writes this about the tithe. Imagine if we did this, wow. Um, he says, you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires. Come on. He says, for oxen, for sheep. For me, that would probably fill at stake. Um, but anyway, but then he says, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice, you and your household. That household wasn't just your home. That was your whole kind of sphere of influence in the place that you lived. This was the party tithe, and this was a command from God. And, and it was to take the tithe offering that would usually go to the temple, and God says, no, throw a massive celebration, throw a party, um, so that, as Deuteronomy says, you may rejoice, that you may intentionally in this moment choose joy and celebrate all that is good in the world. And some people might say, isn't that a tiny bit wasteful? Like, why would God command such a thing? I think God commands such a thing because he is the most joyful being in the universe. You're never going to get anyone more joyful than him, and he wants us to participate in that, experience that, and he wants to share that joy with the world. It was celebration that defined the life of Jesus. As Again, he came on the back of the proclamation, I bring you good news of great joy, um, but if you didn't know it already, Jesus was a fun guy. Reread the Gospels through the lens, not Jesus, oh, I'm serious and do miracles and I'm all about the Lord's work he was fun. He was a fun person. He, was the, he is the most joyful person you will ever meet. The first miracle that he performed, I don't think it was any coincidence, it was at a wedding party and he turned water into wine and there was some significance in that but at the end of the day he wanted people to enjoy the celebration and enjoy the good things of life. Jesus was someone who loved to eat out. He loved to go to dinner parties. He loved to go to celebrations. There was a reason that in the scriptures he's accused of being a glutton and a drunk and you know what Jesus must have been fun because he was always getting invited to parties I don't think it was just because he was a well-respected rabbi he must have been fun they probably heard about the first miracle at the wedding and thought let's have Jesus Um, but I love don't you just love this about God God likes to celebrate. God likes to party, and he likes you to party. Not in the way that the world often does. We we party to forget. We party to remember the goodness of God. We party and we celebrate to root ourselves in the fact that I'm not going to just ignore the stuff of the world, but I'm going to root myself in God is always good. He prepares a table for me. Even now in the presence of my enemies, he is always good. And celebration helps cultivate joy. And guess what? Um, The joy makes us strong. Celebration cultivates joy and joy makes us strong. As the prophet Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it is this strength that helps us, even in the face of the hardest moments, to stand strong, to persevere, and even have joy. And you know, I think as we emerge from lockdown and as we enter into a new normal, the times that we're in demand a church that is joyful. The world needs a church that is joyful, who don't neglect the stuff. Hearing this, we don't just brush it under the carpet, but we acknowledge the goodness of God. That's where joy is found. Jesus, interesting, Jesus didn't endure the cross because of grit and determination. Jesus endured the cross because it was for the joy set before him that he endured all of that. And we too, as followers of Jesus, we can endure hardships. And you know what I will admit? So much of my walk with Jesus has been about grit and determination. I'm going to get through this. I want to be a good Christian, and so I'm going to do all that I can not to sin and not to do all this bad stuff, which is a bad way of doing it. Um, Our strength comes from joy, and our determination and our, our endurance comes from the future hope of the expectation of joy found in Jesus. And I believe that if we're to endure, if we're to thrive as a church in the coming season, um, we need to relearn the art of celebration, of obeying the command that Paul gives us in scripture, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice, choose joy. And just as I land practically speaking, how do we practice the art of celebration? This is easy and it's really fun. First of all, connect with others. Celebration happens in community. Celebration for God was about his people coming together. Yes, we do it here. This is part of what we're doing now. We're celebrating here on Sunday for worship. But how about create spaces for hospitality? Open up your home, have meals, throw parties, eat, drink, talk, listen, play music, dance, sing, reminisce, give thanks together and at the moment I understand people might not feel comfortable if you don't feel comfortable going to someone else's home how about me in an open space my grow group right after church now we're going to practice the art of celebration we're having a barbecue together because we can and it's going to be great there's going to be great food and drink and you know what this is an act of worship together we're going to celebrate all that is good in the world we're going to celebrate friendship we're going to celebrate community and you know what when you do this there doesn't have to be an occasion other than this that God is good And we want to celebrate all that is good in the world and recognize that it's a gift. Celebration builds community. Celebration is healing. Celebration nurtures relationships. It welcomes the stranger and those on the fringes. Um, Celebration, I believe, is the antidote for loneliness. And right now, there's a lot of lonely people in our world. Celebration demonstrates to the world what God is like. And when, it, when people experience genuine joy, there's something so attractive about that. That's why there's something so attractive about Jesus, because he is the most joyful person you will ever meet. And as we do these things, as we worship, as we practice generosity, as we practice the art of celebration... This isn't a means to paper over the cracks. And I'll close with this final verse. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, and he's talking about his hardships that he's faced. And if anyone's faced hardships, Paul knows about it. And he says this, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed. And then he says this, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Always rejoicing whatever the season because even in the presence of my enemies, God prepares a table and we can feast and we can thrive. We can hold pain and disappointment and joy together and we can make the conscious decision every single day to say, I'm going to choose joy because it reframes the way that I see the world, the way that I see myself, the way that I think. And there are lots of things that we don't know about the shape of things to come as we emerge from what we're coming out of. And it's tough, but don't let the enemy rob you of the joy that Jesus wants to give you. And He wants other people to know: choose joy. Let it be formed in you. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength, and let it mark you and set you apart for His glory and His purposes. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.